Hello and welcome to the Sovereign Collective Podcast, where we bring you real raw truth for your self-empowerment. I'm your host, Sasha Calavota, and I believe that you can stand on your own two feet, but that you don't have to do it alone. I love learning from people who continually strive to raise the bar, to go against mainstream thinking, and who dare to question the general consensus. People are risking ridiculed or even risk the loss of their professional status as they bravely question the common narratives and challenge the rest of us to expand our minds and to reconsider what we think we already know. Join me in learning how to take control of your health and your mind so that you can have the energy to think more clearly and the confidence to step up and take responsibility for all aspects of your life. We promise to never censor here because I believe you are strong enough to hear the real raw truth to make up your own mind. If you like what you find here at the Sovereign Collective Podcast, then please share with your friends and family. I so appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the Sovereign Collective Podcast with Curtis Stone of FreedomFarmers.com. In this episode, we go into how to buy land if you're looking to create your own little homestead and piece of heaven out of the city and what to look for in that and reasons why you might want to do that and other things to help you live a more independent and self-sustaining lifestyle. A great interview with Sir Curtis Stone. Him and his crew have a lot to offer you over at freedomfarmers.com. We did, however, have a lot of technical issues during this interview, both with audio and video. We had to change video platforms in the middle of it and we also had some problems with the audio so please bear with us during this interview it's not that bad but we did have some issues but the information is well worth it and I hope you enjoy and if you do enjoy please share around thanks so much and now on to the show Hey everyone, it's Sasha here with another interview for the Song Collective Podcast and today we're going to go in a little bit different direction we're going to talking about self-sustainability how do you leave a legacy for your family and you know some of the important things that are important in this world these days when it's that we're not at the mercy of the markets and whatever else is going on so today i have with me curtis stone who is somebody i got to meet shortly briefly when i was in dc last spring but i also heard about curtis stone a while ago when he was doing all his urban farming stuff in Kelowna. he has since moved on from Kelowna is really teaching people how to homestead, find some property and things like that. And things that I appreciate with Curtis is there's so many things that come together with, with him. He uh, He's a really aware, conscious guy, knows what's going on. I love the way he shares on his YouTube channel. We'll tell you what that is a little bit later. But just his views on things. He's very well spoken about, you know, just current events, things like that. But he also has a lot of skills and he's teaching people. He's a mentor. He's an educator. He's pulling together all these people together to provide you with some really important information these days. So it's something that I strive to, like what if what he's doing right now, if I could do that, well, that'd be amazing. And eventually in my future, I do see, not eventually, well, yeah, eventually in my future, I see, you know, us building a bigger legacy for my son and for people extended in my family as well. And that's about building self-resilience and sustainability and really having a tool set in your back pocket so that you don't depend. You might depend a bit on your community, but you don't depend on the powers that think they be for, you know, what you need to survive. So anyways, let's hear a little bit about Curtis. Curtis Stone, he is one of the world's most highly sought after small farming educators. His book, The Urban Farmer, offers a new way to think about farming one where quality of life and profitability coexist. 
Today, Curtis spends most of his time building his 40-acre off-grid homestead in British Columbia. He leverages his relationships with other experts to bring diverse content into the homes of gardeners and aspiring small farmers from around the world. And you can find all that info on freedomfarmers.com. Just an amazing, just one-stop shop for all things farming, growing, homesteading, finding property, all sorts of stuff. And you can also learn about Curtis and his view on things on his YouTube channel, Off Grid with Curtis Stone. So thank you, Curtis, for being here today. This is going to be super valuable information, so I appreciate your time. Happy to be here, Sasha. Nice. Okay. So you first were farming, farming, I guess. Now you're really not took it up a notch, but in Kelowna, right? And you were teaching people how to basically make a living off of that urban kind of farming. So how did you even get interested in farming? Because I was listening to one of your videos a little while ago and you, you live in Quebec and you were doing totally different things. So you've had quite a diverse background. So mm -hmm. where did farming come in? Yeah, well, you know, it kind of came out of, um, it came out of, I've always been into geopolitical issues and um, I've always kind of followed, well, not always, but for, for my, my teenage years, even I paid attention to geopolitics. I was more of a leftist when I was younger, but around 2008, actually it was 2008, 2006, I really started um, paying attention to what was going on with the sort of US military war machine. And I started paying, paying attention to politics then. And when, um, was it Obama that got elected in 2008? Yeah. Um, I thought we were on a track for complete societal collapse. Mm. I was more concerned about environmental issues there, but mostly economic. But I could just kind of see the writing on the wall. But, you know, we're still alive. Here we are 20-something, almost 20 years later. Um, but that's what kind of got me interested in being able to live on the land. Well, no, that's actually not true. I've always been interested in living on the land. In fact, that goes way back to when I was a child. Um, but I became more obsessed with it around that time because I just thought, you know, geopolitically, the way things are going, it uh, it doesn't look good. And so I'd like to learn how to farm. I was really I was I was a musician at the time, to end up until two thousand eight in Montreal, a touring musician and recording, oh, trying wow. to make a go, trying to make a go of it. You know, I was working on a film composing career. Uh, doing film scoring and stuff like that, doing short films and and wow. stuff, and had a little studio up in Montreal. And anyways, that's what I, that's what I was into at that time. But yeah, I kind of hit a wall with that. Kind of felt tired of it, being a starving, you know, poor musician in Montreal. Though Mon Montreal, I might add, is a if you're going to be poor in a city, Montreal was a good one. I don't know what it's like today. It's probably hell on earth, but but it was a good one. <laughs> I lived right downtown. I had a really nice two-bedroom apartment for $500 a month Wow! You know, before real inflation came, you know, wow. things were still cheap. And I was, I was worried about the shit hitting the fan back then, basically. So I left the city in 2008. I went to back to British Columbia, which is where I was from Kelowna. And I, uh, well, I should say I, I, I worked as a tree planter to fund my musician lifestyle for many years. I'd go, back to BC, worked for a couple months in the BC bush and then make a bunch of money. And it was enough to live for another 10, 10 months basically in Montreal. So I did that for a number of years. And when I came back here, I kept tree planting and then I kind of was like figuring out what I wanted to do. And so after a tree planting season in 2009, yeah, was it 2009? Um, yeah, 
I rode my bike down the West Coast of, of the U.S., and I just I, I did woofing and I visited farms and things like that and uh, learned a little bit about stuff, more learned a lot about myself and and my own sort of motivation and things. But I did that. And that's where after that, my farming career started doing it all by bike and doing the urban farming thing. And I did that for a number of years, for almost 10 years. And wow. uh, it was great. And, but you know, I, I don't know, I, I guess I kind of grew out of it. I grew out of just farming small plots. I always wanted to be on bigger land. I was always more interested in permaculture than I was market gardening. I was way more into that stuff. And so um, that's what I really wanted to do. It's just those things required capital. That's the problem. So I didn't have money when I started farming. I had a little bit of money saved from tree planting, but it was enough to start that business. And that business operated very on a very lean basis. And it's why it's, that model is successful and you know hundreds of thousands of people around the world have my book and have, have done you know urban farming and um but i just got kind of tired of it and i when the whole covid scam happened um you know i was well into not necessarily being just the urban farmer anymore though that was still my how people knew me but i was more into homesteading and stuff and had a nice little property in Kelowna with my family but when the covid thing happened it was the final motivation for my wife and I just be like, yeah, let's finally just leave the city. Cause yeah. at that point I, I knew the writing was on the wall. I could see where this was going. And so I spent basically a year looking um, and then found this place and we moved here and that's kind of started the journey that I'm on right now, which is developing this really cool mountainous property with Southeastern exposure in the, the mountains of Southern British Columbia. And um, my company Freedom Farmers operates um with a we have a lot of team members and it operates without me being at the helm anymore um so i'm in this fortunate position that i've worked very hard to obtain but that i don't have to run a nine to five job or or be in the rat race anymore my company is operates without me even though i i I'm still very involved but i don't need to be clocking in day in and day out and so that affords me this beautiful privilege of being able to just build a homestead property which has been a dream of mine since i was a child and do it with my family so it really is it's a lot of fun and it, and it definitely keeps me busy and it's challenging but it's it's a labor of love for sure so that's kind of where we're at today wow and that's amazing so when you when you see that the the footage from your property from above on your videos now was that did you clear that was that all treed once upon no time? Oh yeah, maybe fifty years ago it was it was oh, it was okay, okay. Yeah, this place this place was logged about fifty years ago. That's why it's open like okay. that. Um, so yeah, but no, but no, and I I have taken certainly taken some trees down, but definitely not that whole eight acre area that you can see. Right, right. That's mm. amazing. And so you're currently you you still currently building your home on there. Where's yeah. the status of it right now? well it's uh you can kind of see it behind you can see the deck up there it's uh it's just about at the lockup stage so all the windows and doors are on it's tyvek all around um we're just about we're, we're doing all the rough-ins for electrical and plumbing actually the plumbing rough-ins are done we're doing more of the finer tuned plumbing stuff now and electrical and so I don't, I don't we, we won't be living in it this winter but we'll be working on it all winter doing the drywall and finishings and things like that and then hopefully be living in it by summer next year amazing amazing it's quite a so, process you have planned this very particularly so that when if the lights go off if everything is cut off you guys will be fine so can you tell us a little bit about that 
Yeah. So we're, I'm trying to, I always like to just go hardcore on things. I've always been that way. So, and I've always been obsessed with off grid, you know, food, water, energy, shelter. Those are the four main things that are the focus. And so, yeah, we're already very operationally. If the lights were to go out tomorrow, we would, we would slog through. There was no question. We've got our own power source. that's totally independent own water source. That's totally independent. And two of them now, um, food growing systems are, are pretty dialed in though. The perennial things take time, you know, that's yeah. just the nature of them. Um, but we have small, um, livestock up here, just birds, meat birds and, and chickens and, uh, la or layers and, uh, turkeys we do. Um, and maybe some more types of livestock as we go. We'll see. We've got three greenhouses. I'm in one of them. This is the, the main passive solar greenhouse. It's, it's basically like a house. It can basically stay tropical year round with very little inputs. Wow. Um, yeah, we've got another high tunnel greenhouse with just a standard sort of market garden, unheated greenhouse, which I do uh, this year. I did tomatoes and peppers in. Got another heated greenhouse, which I, I've got uh, all kinds of cool crops for winter going in there. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, we, we dug two ponds this summer, which was really cool. Um, building a house. We had a house up here when we bought this place. There was like a 800 square foot cabin. Really, really simple, off-grid. It had a one kilowatt solar array and uh, about 800 watts of little wind turbines. And so we lived in that for, well, we lived in it partially for the first year we bought this place. And then when we sold our house in Kelowna in 2021, we bought this place September 2020, sold our house a year later and kind of I worked on this place that season, but I'd kind of go back and forth to Kelowna, which was pretty challenging, but we, we got through it. And so now we've been up here since, for full time since uh, 2021, living in this little cabin while we build this wow. house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's going to be so rewarding. I just love that. Like, this is like a huge scale. Like, I so appreciate like growing my food and eating it, fermenting my food and, and eating it and knitting my clothes and, you know, all this stuff. So I can... I couldn't imagine the satisfaction of really creating that and leaving that list is building a legacy for your family too, which I oh, don't absolutely. think about these days, right? Like if you think of like, I don't know if you know the Anastasia books, but it's all about, you know, yeah, very about, kin's domain. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. And it just yeah. spoke to me so much when I read those books back in that books back in the day. And I yeah. just couldn't imagine the satisfaction that that's bringing you. It's unbelievably satisfying. There's no question about it. My days are, I'm living my dream. Really. I feel, Sometimes I feel uh, guilty uh, <laughs> about it because it's 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 so awesome, um, but yeah, no, it it is, and that and the Kins Domain thing is a real model for us too. My wife uh, has read those books. I kind of got the Cole's notes, but I I get the whole thing and right. and I love it. And that's the idea, you know. Basically, for me, my my world perspective is what is driving me to do this so hardcore in that. I really think that humanity is at this big turning point where, you know, you hear this kind of cliche dichotomy of great awakening versus the great reset kind of thing. Right. Um, and um, you could philosophize for a long time about the details of which way that's going to go. I try to base my, my, my actions on things that I can observe that I can totally confirm myself with my own eyes. We lost you. Ah. Uh -huh. Sorry about that. Oh, okay. it's, it's my, okay. my whole my whole power system went down and oh. 
Yeah. Okay. No worries. Okay. I got to turn this off. I was like, what the hell is not working? I'm learning how to navigate this new thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you remember where we left? Yeah. Off? You, you, I was going, we talked about where I, where I, I kind of took you up to speed to where I was at. I said how uh, satisfying it is when you're living, the, what's you're living that? the dream. I said how satisfying it is and you're living. Yeah. Shall we go back to being satisfying that to provide that? legacy for your family and that you're living in. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, we're about Anastasia stuff and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah okay. Okay. Are you, okay, are so why will, let me just ask it again and then we'll we'll sure. go like that. So so it must be so satisfying. Like you, you're building this legacy, you're building this legacy for your family, for your children. And I I read the Anastasia books years ago when my son was a baby. And it's just it's like that it's building that legacy and that land for your family. And we don't really live in that way anymore we actually no. don't think about the long term we're more living for today in these urban centers so yeah exactly no it, it is and and my whole kind of world view has taken me to this point where we've we're trying to could potentially be happening you know the implementation of central bank digital currencies universal basic income a massive amount of more infrastructure from the government to basically keep people passive like pacified as there's we don't want to partake in that whatsoever and so you know when it comes down to freedom versus tyranny the more freedom you want the more responsibility you have to take and so that's kind of my approach to the homestead is that tackle starting with all the weakest links first but get everything be able to produce and control as many of the things that we need to be able to survive the next 10, 20 years. Who knows? Prepare, it's kind of preparing for the worst and hoping for the best. Right. I'm, I enjoy the process. So a lot of people or detractors would, people would say, everything I do is fear-based because it's in reaction to the, the shit hitting the fan. Uh, which is partly true, but it's not fear-based because I enjoy the process and we have a great time doing it. And for us raising our children, in this environment is unbelievable so it's a, a great experience for them and then we get a nice place out of it and enjoy the process in the well, meantime so yeah yeah well, look what's created in that and look how much value you're providing for others who are looking to do the same thing there's so much like i've always wanted to do that i've always wanted to try my hand to see, see if i am strong enough to live that kind of a way because i just love doing things and using it and creating things of value and useful things so there's so much coming out of it like it's to me, it's just intelligence. It's not fear. <laughs> yeah. Well, intelligence is certainly involved. However, they're also, it's, it's a lot to do this. And, and, it, and it's actually been far more than I imagined would be involved. Mm. Um, and I've learned a lot of things, learned a lot of trades too. And it's, a, it's been a very expensive educational experience. And at the end of it, I'll get a house and a nice place to live. So it's all worth it. But yeah, it is. It, it, it requires thinking on your feet all the time. Uh, it requires the ability to zoom in on things that are micro detailed and zoom out to have a macro perspective and, and guide a bunch of different projects that are happening at once um, and continue to pay attention to your family and, and my wife's needs. And um, it's extraordinarily challenging. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've definitely set myself up to be able to do it and 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 i knew going in um that i would have to be able to do that it, it would not be possible a friend an old friend of mine off the 
and you can only do three things at once. If you have babies, a business, or your building, you can only do two of those. So if you have babies, uh, you could build uh, or you can run your business. And so you can only do two. And I had my business operational enough over the last number of years that I, I was able to step back. I put a couple key people in place in my business that really allowed me to step back and they're kind of my point people. And um, so I've been able to do this, but yeah, it is, uh, it's super rewarding, fun, challenging, sometimes very, very frustrating. And it, the, the, the thing that's also very neat about it is that it really does, has coincided in a serendipitous way with my work. And one of the programs that I spend a lot of time on these days is called the Homestead Accelerator. And my team and I, we find homestead real estate, viable, really good, what we call A-grade homesteads around the world, mostly in the United States uh, and some in Canada, but we do international stuff. And I see the market on that side of things, which is really interesting and there's so much going on there. And I see the market on the construction side as I build my house because commodity prices and, and things in construction are very tied to macroeconomics. So I've had this really cool education in macro, macroeconomics last few years. What one, one case in point was a thing that I made a hard lesson in was uh, rushing to buy things. And so we started really building at the height of the lockdowns like ah. in, 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 when it was really getting crazy, 2021, spring 2021. And I was paying 150% um, more for lumber yeah. Than we would have been months ago, and it was insane how expensive it was. Like a two by four was costing eighteen dollars. Ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah, it was crazy. So, but but it, but you know, live and learn, and um, but yeah, it's been a it's been a really fun ride. That's for sure, educational to say the least. So I want to talk about that homestead accelerator because I was listening to an interview with you, and you were talking about the points that you're looking to for that A grade property, and I'm wondering. So, we live in Alberta. And I thought, oh, you know, BC, you can grow food, you can do all that, and there's great climate there. But I'm like, oh, I don't want to live in BC. I don't want to live with that government, those politics, the people. But I think it's also regional, depending if you find your people, then I think you're in a great place for a lot of well-aware people around there. But do you think that affects you at all? Being the politics? In yeah, yeah. Or is no, it no. And oh. actually, the politics affect me less here than they'll, than they'll affect you in Alberta, and I'll tell you why. Hmm. So... Are you familiar with the way that land is divided into categories based on urban, suburban, peri-urban, and rural? Have you, really. So you know what you know what urban land is, yeah. right? So urban yeah. is your city, concrete, Calgary, urban. Yeah. Get out to some suburban places on the outskirts of the city, a lot of cookie cutter places, so on and so forth. Then you get into the peri-urban area, which is where the farms are quarter sections all divided up mm -hmm. and you look at a map of Alberta, that's what it is. And then you get rural. So in, in, in the case of Alberta, that would be getting closer to the Rocky Mountains in many cases or just getting further north, um, but, or, or being close to um, certain mountain ranges or things like that where there's more trees and less cookie cutter flat land. Mm -hmm. So your, your freedom in a place depends more on that than it depends on the politics of it. So BC has a, a I don't even, what is it, NDP or liberal? I don't even know, but it's leftist. Um, right. And Alberta has more of a call, you know, with Daniel Smith and all that. Maybe there's some elements of freedom creaking through Alberta. Seems, it seems, politically, it seems more better off than BC, for sure. But the thing is, in British Columbia, 
that is its greatest advantage as a place to live, and this is why it's always been expensive to live here, is that when you get into rural areas, which is what I'm in, trees, mountains, hidden valleys, it, I, have my, I look out my view about seven kilometers out and I only see one neighbor who can't really see me at all. So I have this level of privacy that you don't get in sort of peri-urban Alberta where you have just quarter sections of farms down country roads. You still see your neighbors all the time. I don't see anybody. And so politics, as far as it affecting you, uh, when you're talking on a local level, um, you know, local bureaucrats, county offices, regional districts, what, ha what have you, all those things are driven by complaints. All the issues you run into mm -hmm. the state are driven by complaints, 99% of them. And any, any building inspector or land use planner will tell you that. And I've known a number of them in my life. That's partly why I made the decision to be where we are. Um, and so whatever happens in the elected provincial politics literally has no effect on me whatsoever because I'm in the bush. And right. it's out here, you need, in order to attain freedom here, you need responsibility. So you need to take on certain things because those resources aren't provided for you. So for example, I have a one kilometer windy driveway up a mountain that's super private and super secure and very hard to get up if, if I was say living under threat. I have right. the high ground advantage you could say. Mm -hmm. um, but owning that driveway requires a lot of responsibility because I have to plow it in the winter. I've got to maintain it. I've probably already spent $100,000 on just making it better, putting in culverts, wow. uh, drain, drain ditches and things like that. Um, but it gets me a level of privacy that I can't get in a lot of other places. Whereas when you live in a city and you're surrounded by people, you have this, this matrix that I've often described as more people equals more government because more people require more services for government. And when you have large groups of people together, you have roads and other types of networks that require an administrative uh, organization. Um, so more people equals more government equals more um, uh, regulation, more tyranny, more government in your face. So if you have it the other way around, less people, less government, more freedom, less right. tyranny. Right. So, yeah, so the politics don't affect me at all. Um, no more than they... The, the politics of Canada in general would affect me the same as they would affect you. But I've been a student of the law for many years that, that, that I found a lot of remedy for things that, that um, would normally be an, an impedance on my life, which aren't anymore. And so I think really what it comes down to when you talk about these things in general is that if you want more freedom, you have to take more responsibility. And often that means more education. So you have to learn to become more free whether that's learning skills to live on the land itself or learning skills to navigate the matrix to find the, the most, you know, prosperity. Yeah. And that law part is a really important thing and understanding what, what that actually, who that applies to and how to be in this world as a man or a woman rather than a, yeah. Yeah. A citizen. A person. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know what, I've embraced all those things. So my, my approach with the law is that, I completely just go right into the matrix and I just, but I go in with a sharp sword of knowledge. And so I'll use the system and everything that's ever got me remedy. Um, I've just done in the system as the person, the person to me doesn't matter. It's a bit of a red herring in my opinion and in, in the sort of the law community. Um, it is something that, yeah, okay. It is a corporation. It's a bond. It's, it's a financial 
instrument that you have a fiduciary duty for and all that, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a tool. Right. And that, exactly. tool, that tool can be used one way or the other. Right. Yeah. I know we've been, we've been learning this for a long time and that, yeah, that's coming to that understanding because it can serve you in certain ways as well. So, yeah. And I just want to make a comment about that responsibility. And that's a really key thing. And I think that this is why I think that the strike was very well timed with this whole shit show that's been happening these last few years, because people don't want the responsibility, right? They don't no. want to take responsibility. They don't want to do things for themselves. They want the convenience. And that's, shown itself very very clearly so i think right now it's a prime opportunity for the people that do want to take responsibility to get do this before you know because they're the ones that are we're the ones that, that that know i think have the duty to let other people know and do what we can to i don't know yeah well and, and yeah and the writing's on the wall i mean there's that clip that went viral not too long ago of larry fink the ceo of blackrock sitting on the world economic forum talking about the delivery of the 17 sustainability goals and all of that is going to be through the private sector. And so he's talking about just corporations. So it, it will governs corporation too, but, but it will be, you know, McDonald's and Tim Hortons and, and BlackRock and all these other corporations that are bringing the tyranny, not the state because right. the state, I think the state knows that like, they've all been caught. They've all been exposed. So they can't just, bring in the tyranny like they tr they tried to with covid so they're gonna they're gonna revert back to the drawing board and come back through more not using coercion but using the offer of convenience and and making it more and more difficult for us to exist outside of that matrix and making it more enticing to be inside of that matrix and so because of that i don't have any fear about the system because i just i just know that well as long as you're able to take more responsibility then you shouldn't have any problem navigating where this whole thing is going. And so right. I kind of feel because it's that's what I've observed and and I've been able to navigate it uh, with those kind of decisions that I've made. And so we just we're having fun doing this. It's not about I need to build this because I know the world's going to be uh, a war zone shortly, which I don't necessarily think it is. But just for example, I'm doing this because I love gardening. I'm doing this because I love the projects. I, I just finished building a root cellar. You know, I, I'm a nerd for these kinds of things too. Right. So, yeah. So fulfilling, so fulfilling. So stay, okay. So let's talk about this because I know you you give, you give talk about freely some of the points that you're looking for when you're looking at analyzing a property. And there's people you can right. buy the course where he goes through, I think, 50A category, whatever yes. you call that, property. So, when somebody's looking for, like, I think a lot of people don't know what to look for in a property, right? They're, they're just looking right. for something that looks pretty. So what yes. are some of the things that people need to consider before they even start looking at what's actually on the property? Oh, I can't what? hear you. Oh, 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 there you are. No, you're back. No, Sorry. you're back. You're, okay. You're okay. Oh, uh, before you to look, for something you know you probably want to decide where you want to be and um you know what your price range is and all that but basically what i use is um a, a, it's called the 11 scales of permanence to basically evaluate a property and so the first thing that's most important about evaluating property is the climate the climate you're in that really dictates by and large 
your experience on that land more than anything else. And then we kind of go through all these other things. So then we look at the land form, how the land is shaped, peaks, valleys, ridges, secondary ridges, primary ridges, uh, features like that. And then we talk about the water. What are the, what's the water on the property? I would, we, we, when we showcase properties on our weekly listings, we don't show anything that has less than two sources of water because I think that's super, super important for a variety of different reasons. Um, but then we look at roads and access. Okay. So let me, I just want to ask a question about the water. So when you're looking at water, are you looking at springs? Are you looking like a river runs through the property? Does it have to be like what? All is, water. All of anything, okay. anything that has water, a river, a spring, a pond, um, a, an aquifer, a well, a pit well, right. a drilled well, whatever it is, okay. right? right. E even infrastructure for uh, good rainwater catch catchment if it was in a rainy climate, we would consider that as a source of water. You know, okay. it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be in my climate. I'm in a boreal climate, get about 14 inches of rain a year or less. And so rainwater capture up here is fairly insignificant in what it can do for you. Snow melt is much better here. Right. And so, yeah, we look. And basically, yeah, I mean, if I go through all these, it, we'll be here all day and you could ask me questions about them and such. But basically, we go through these criteria and that's how we analyze a, a property and and um yeah what people are used to looking for when they've just been shopping for a suburban home uh versus what you should be looking for when you're talking about a homestead property are very different things like just just looking at the house alone for us that's that's kind of way down on the list not way down but it's probably number five or six uh climate landform water are far more important than the condition of a home. So all of these things have to be considered because ultimately you're going to live there. But when we look at the homestead, it's that's that's the picture that we're looking at, not just the home. We're looking at the whole thing, the holistic context to it with the intention of having food, water, energy, and shelter. Because right. those are the four things that you can't live without um, for very long. And so that's what all the properties we evaluate have the capacity for those things in varying different degrees and that's why we have a different rating system we have a, a properties which are basically turnkey you know an threatening area you're not near oh, a farm wait, that you just stopped for a long time you said turn oh, really? properties and then turnkey and then you went blank oh okay okay I'll, I'll go from there um so an a grade property is basically turnkey so that you show up it's got everything there for you there's a, there's a decent home, there's infrastructure for farming, there might be a barn, a shop, there's a good water infrastructure, there's a well that worked, there's some water distribution there, um, you know, there's, there's some vegetation and wildlife, you know, we kind of, an A-grade property for us is sort of this holistic picture of these 11 scales of permanence that you can go in and just operate there right away. And the basic, basically the way we rate properties is by scoring points against them for things that you have to put resources into. So if your climate isn't that great and you have to put, re you have to lots, a lot of greenhouses, you're, you know, everything is, um, you have to have a lot of wind barriers, things like that. You have to put a lot of resources in to fight the climate. That's difficult. And so that scores points against it. And so basically we evaluate properties based on these 11 scales of permanence based on reflecting how much resources you have to put to fix this thing, whether it's the water, the roads, the gardens, uh, the power systems, all of that, we take all that into consideration.
Right. And one interesting point, if I know what you talk about, is it has to be you like seeing a certain percentage of wild on the land, right? You just don't want like this open prairie or cultivated. You would prefer trees that have to come down. We correct? would prefer. Well, yeah. I mean, ultimately, you know, I'm not I'm not saying that you can't live on a good property in, you know, farmland, Alberta. You can. It's just that all of those things come with uh, that comes with certain aspects you know like like i was saying earlier on the freedom index side is the more farmland area you live in where it's just commercial farms all around you one that brings an element of risk because it's mostly conventional farming uh, around especially in some parts of uh peri-urban alberta it's just lots of monoculture spraying glyphosate such um, but then you also have a higher level of regulation there's bureaucrats from the county running around we want inspections for this and this and this and and so we prefer more rural areas because they're more private, you know, down the end of a country road, you know, you only have one or two neighbors opposed to neighbors all around you. You've got certain topography that gives you protection from the climate, but gives you protection from visibility. You know, you don't want to be on a property that's right on a main highway on the, on the um, exiting a major city, you know? So, you know, considerations like that, what, what does it look like in a shit hits the fan scenario? There's no food in the grocery stores. There's no power. Water's not flowing. Oil's not pumping. Whatever it might be, um, what does life look like? And then, what is the best approach in a property to get you uh, to survive and thrive in those conditions? And so, were you only looking at higher elevation properties for that purpose because it is mm -hmm. out of the way, or would you have gone no. elsewhere? No. No, no, no. The elevation doesn't necessarily have anything to do with it. Well, it, it kind of does, but. No, I mean, we look at properties all over, all over the world. Um, and I mean, just because our customer base is mostly in the U.S., so the vast majority of properties we publish are in the U.S., though we're getting more and more Canadians now, and we're doing more Canadian properties. And we're actually finding really good properties in Alberta. Probably the best value mm -hmm. in Canada right now is in Alberta, northern uh, Edmonton, south of Edmonton. Okay. Sort of between Red Deer and Edmonton, there's some really good value there right now. Um, no, so it doesn't have to do with elevation. It's more just the logistics of it where is it on the road is it you know what are the features around it it doesn't have to be high elevation um a lot of the properties we showcase actually the probably the vast majority of the best properties we see right now are in places in the southeast in the united states so anywhere from up to kentucky down to alabama parts of northeastern texas um over to georgia uh, that, you know, Oklahoma, Alabama, Missouri, Kentucky, Kentucky, number one, best value in the United States for homestead properties right now across the board is in Kentucky. And then kind of Alabama, Oklahoma, um, really good value there. Parts of Georgia are really good. So we look all over. Um, generally speaking, it's harder to find properties the more west you go. That's, and that's just because the way the population is distributed. If you look at a population map, of North America that just shows concentrations of color and more concentrated po populated areas. The whole Eastern seaboard has easily 70 to 80% of the population of North America is on the Eastern seaboard. And so that just means there's more people and there's more inventory. Whereas on the West coast, on the West side, uh, basically starting from central Texas and over, um, is less people and less infrastructure. So there's right. just less to offer. So we just see more value 
um, because there's more competition and, and stuff like that in the southeast right. of the United States. And, and the climate down there is unbelievable. I mean, we look at some properties, you as a Canadian, you would be so pissed off looking at some of the properties. That, like for, for what I can get in BC, so my, my property here, when I'm done with this, this will be probably about a three to four million dollar property. And that sounds like the Shang. You got to stop again. You okay. said three to four million dollar property. It sounds like the Shen, and that's okay. where you stop. Okay. Okay. So in, in in BC, a three million dollar property that has a house, a barn, some road infrastructure, some gardens, maybe some greenhouses, that would be up to three million dollars in BC and more. You could buy that same exact type property with even larger land down in a place like Kentucky for a third or less the cost no about a sixth of the cost so you can buy that wow. same type of property for 400 500,000 no. in Kentucky wow. I'm not I'm not kidding you it's insane <laughs> and 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 there's properties too you get basically everything you need and they even upgrade the electricity for for that kind of money whereas in BC forget about it there's no way but you can uh, we, we we found properties in Alberta not too long ago just south of West, just south of Edmonton on 100 anywhere between 50 to 150 acres up to 100 a quarter section 160 for about 600,000 with every, I'm talking Canadian dollars everything you need barns house fields ponds wow. unbelievable turnkey homesteads so there there's Alberta's changing there's there's becoming some stuff available there so in Alberta, though, we have two big things. We've got oil and gas, and we've got freaking glyphosate, you know, Roundup everywhere. So yeah, yeah. looking at the potential for pollution of your groundwater, soil, we, things. Absolutely. Like we, eva we, have, we evaluate all of those things. We're how hot. far out do you want to be? Like, how far out do you want to be from something? Well, I wouldn't want to be anywhere near any of that stuff. Um, but the thing is, Alberta, a lot of the ag, especially the further north you go, is just hay cropping. And it's really benign. Like to be next to uh, hay cropping fields, they don't they don't spray chemicals on them. There's no pesticides. Uh, they might fertilize them conventionally, but it's fairly benign. So you can be away from the shit essentially in in many parts of Alberta. So no, we we look for all those things. So the first thing we do when we look at a property is we look for threats because it's the first thing that would rule something out. So right. it's either a threat from an industry of some kind. It's either it's a climate threat. Like, you know, you could be in a Chinook zone that just always gets Chinooks in, in, Alberta, in Alberta, which sucks because it's really hard to plan uh, when you're near those because you get unstable, you know, crazy weather in July or January. Mm -hmm. um, so we look, we, we evaluate all those things. We, we look for oil and gas. Um, we look for any type of industry that would affect your well-being. Uh, absolutely everything and so we, anything that has a threat is immediately ruled out so nothing on our lists and we have a whole map now at freedomfarmers.com it's incredible it's got hundreds of properties in it now all of them are either a or b properties that that i've personally reviewed my team has pulled all the data on and we show we showcase them and so nothing we we look at has threats so you're looking like it's a real estate listing. So for people actively looking to purchase property, you've got listings for properties sale. for sale. Yeah. And, and we don't make, and we don't make any money on the sale. We, we, we just make money by charging for a service basically. Right. And this service is insane because it's, it, nobody's ever done this before, but basically what we've put together 
gives people who want to get out of the city and onto the land the ability to basically find a suitable homestead immediately, opposed to touring around. It takes it takes years to find the right place to live. It really does, right. Uh, right. especially when you look at homesteads. If you're looking for just an apartment or a suburban lot, that's a totally different can of worms because there's way less variables that are important to your existence there. Right. Whereas on land, food, water, energy, shelter, you need to have the capacity for those things. And if you don't have it, the property doesn't make our list. So. Yeah, do, so you we're, also, do you take into account how close you are to a major center for access if you have to go? Absolutely. Those are all threats. So um, a proximity to a highway, proximity to a city that's too big. Uh, at everything. I, I look at the city, how close are you to the city? I look at the main veins. I look at all the interstate highways that come out of that city. We don't want to be near any of those. You don't want to be visible from those. We, uh, the way I imagine, uh, and I did this in consulting. And close to, oh, yes, because the latest and because I want to talk about, because this is making me think of strong cities, 15-minute cities, and blah, 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 because I'm really yeah, sick yeah, yeah. of that building up. So you were talking about the proximity to major centers being a threat, because some people would think right. that that's not a threat. People are going to think, well, I want exact access to resources, right? That's well, and there's something, yeah, and there's something to that. So why don't I just pick up on that? And then you okay. can kind of, you might have to make a blurb about a disclaimer on something, but okay. I'll just, you know, try to okay. subject matter it together. Um, yeah, so uh, on cities, you know, if you imagine basically smashing a city like a hornet's nest, people will move out in the areas of the path of, path of last resistance, similar to how water moves under pressure, how it will push through cracks and it'll push through areas where there's less resistance. And so people will flow through the same way. And so whenever we look at properties, we kind of take all that into consideration is what happens in a proverbial shit hits the fan scenario. There's a food crisis, a water crisis, an oil crisis, what have you. And so where do people go and what does that look like? And so for, for our types of properties, you know, we're not looking for properties that are the best for a, a farm. We're looking for properties that are the best as a homestead and the two things are different. They're not mutually exclusive. They, they can coincide for sure, but we'd prefer, we'd prefer to be off the major routes so that you're not visible from, you know, traffic. You know, we, we also consider the frontage of a property. Say you've got a property shaped like a rectangle it's better to have your frontage on the smallest side of your property opposed to the longest side of your property, right? So you have minimal visibility into what you're doing. So things like that, you know, we, we consider, yeah, basically what's the best case scenario for a family under the worst case scenario, basically. How can your property be uh, an arc for you, like a Noah's arc, and, and, and give you the things that you need and keep you from safety? And, and generally speaking, I find higher elevations are better um, not higher elevations is in, you got to be at 3000 feet versus 300 feet, but it's, you want to be above where water settles. So being in river valleys and things like that, are just, there's right. just no point because even a hundred year flood, it's worth the risk because you might get that on year three and then you got to restart everything over. So we generally just prefer to put people completely out of harm's way in every respect. Right. Fair enough. And so what I was thinking is that people think that being relatively close to a city would be a bonus because they don't have to go that far to fetch their sundries kind of thing if they are getting anything. But I can understand it always shocks me how many properties are really close to the highway and 
not only just your quality of life of listening to that all the Careful. time. Why would you no. even want that in your, it shocks me how many people build these mansions right along the highway. I don't, I don't understand that there's a lot. I know, but you know, to your point about proximity to the city though, there is, there is something valuable to say to that is that there is too small and there is too big. I would say the ideal size of town to be close to is somewhere between 2,000 to 10,000 people. So no less than 2,000, no more than 10,000 in, in, in an optimal scenario. Uh, reason for that is that if you're under 2000, you often just don't have the bare necessities and you always have to commute further to get them, Yeah, which is a pain. Um, yeah. but then if you're too big, then you have that risk of, you know, the, the failed melting pot, you know, as we see right now, we're seeing all kinds of division amongst people all by design, of course, but of course. we're seeing that and, and that civil unrest that's brewing that, that, you know, our friends at the World Economic Forum would love to just see that s switch go off. And maybe that's what the latest Israel-Palestine thing is really all about. But, sure. you know, so so that, so there's, you know, there's the right size uh, in conclusion. Right, right. And and I can see that being in Calgary, being a smart city, right? There's all sorts of ridiculous construction going on right now, which doesn't make sense in a growing city with a growing population and a growing base on the roads and they're narrowing it's just like they're trying to just keep you in a little bit so when they have to shut they, down, they shut down one lane instead of two lanes right like if there's yes. all these little things going on right now so what do you have to say to people who are maybe on the fence it's like how much time do you think we see before it's really important to get out of the city i mean the sooner the better i would think just so you can get yourself established established but what do you think for timing? What do you think for the people like, oh, no, it's fine. Like, and then I'm just going to stay with my people and we're going to fight it out in the city. Like, what do you have to say for those people that really aren't ready to make the switch? Because it's a big switch for an urbanite who, yeah. you know, doesn't know what they're doing. Well, I would say, you know, ultimately to each their own. I don't I don't need to convince people of things if they don't want to do them. Um, and it is it, it's hard to. To make timelines. Um it sometimes it seems like the writing's on the wall more obviously, just like how with the whole COVID thing, when the tyranny kept scaling up, we could all really kind of see where it was going for that period of time. But then as things kind of recessed a little bit, we've gone into a new kind of arena of what's going to be the next thing, you know, um, what's going to be the next layer of division. So it's hard, it's hard to say, I think, you can look at the UN stuff like Agenda 2030 and go, okay, well, there's a timeline, 2030. But even then, what does it really actually mean? I think, you know, you got to, you got, everybody's got to make their own call, really. Um, and, and of course, some places are safer than others. This whole thing isn't monolithic in the sense that the timeline that's happening, in my opinion, is monolithic it's going to be the same everywhere because that's pretty difficult to manage i think we're seeing like you can see how in places like france where they're way further down the hole of where the new world order wants to take you and you know they've got a plan for you and your family but then you can look at a place like um yeah just rural anywhere really it's not the same it's gonna it's gonna be worse in the higher concentrations of areas so i would say that uh, metropolitan cities. I mean, I would not consider being in a metropolitan city in any place in the world. I'd rather be in a small town. Right. Um, but you know, people have their reasons, right? And so I, I don't want to tell people one way or the other. I just think that 
the sooner is better, as you said, it's obvious. Um, but these things take time. And if you're, if you're waiting to get out of the city when the sh proverbial shit hits the fan, you're going to be in a lineup of people who also want to do the same. And so I think the, the likelihood that you'll be able to get out when you need to just is going to be more difficult. So I feel like I would say. kind of a good time because I think there was a bit of a mass exodus just recently with people looking and then people kind of forget very quickly when things kind of seemingly return to normal. Right. And they kind of forget. That's what I would say to that too. Yeah. I would agree with that. And, and there's a little bit less of a panic. So the there's a little less competition right now. Um, you know, in Canada, there's very little opportunities in the market at all. I would say Alberta and some of those places I mentioned are the best ones that we've seen. We've seen some good and decent places in Manitoba. If you want to be in Manitoba, I don't. Um, or there's some okay places in Northern Ontario, but Canada is about to shit the bed in my opinion. Um, and the, re the reason for that is that if you look at the long-term interest rate cycles, so you look at the 40 year mm -hmm. cycles mm -hmm. in the eighties, the interest rates were up here and then they, they bottomed out in about 2020 and then they've been incrementally going back up and it kind of looks like a big skateboard ramp. And if you can pay, if you can look at a macro yeah, you know, trend, you can see that they're going to keep going up and they, because it becomes this game of inflation versus interest rates. And so we're kind of in that game. And so people that purchased homes around 2020 bought at the lowest interest rate, but also bought at the peak of the market. So there are these two things that when they come out and they intersect is going to be a nightmare scenario for a lot of people where they won't be able to afford renewing their mortgage because we have five-year uh, terms here. And so we're already seeing it. And I, I follow um, a lot of news in, in relation to real estate. And I'm seeing more and more articles of Canadians saying, I can't renew. I can't renew. I, their their uh, monthly I, payments are going up like thousand, $1,000. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be more than that. Yeah, well, I already, I, with the lower end ones. I know, I, I know a guy, I know a guy who had $4,000, no, $3,500 a month mortgage payments. And those doubled. So that's not sustainable for a lot of people. So there's going to be, it's going to be a devastation for a lot of people. Cause I mean, could you imagine paying into a mortgage for 15 years and then you lose it all? Like no. it's insane. No. Mortgages are a total scam, but that's a whole other conversation. And that's but, the thing. It's all contrived. It's all based on bullshit. All bullshit. It's, it's, yeah. That's, that's the thing that's frustrating. But at the end of the day, it's the game. And right. so if you totally. want to play the game, you got to know the game and then, and then see the opportunity when when things like this happen and they are going to happen right like there's this great just on the side here there's a great little youtube channel called grim hustle have you ever heard of that no it's basically these mafia guys i think some of them are actual mafia guys but they give you these short little life lessons and one of them is like basically how you screw the people you get them comfortably get them buying you drop the interest rates and you yeah, get right. them buy everything and go and then you just wrench it back up and this is what we're happening now right and Absolutely. he talks about the cycles and it's pretty funny there's these I think there's some legit mafia guys talking about their stories. And I don't know if this guy, who he actually is, but they're really fun little life lessons from there, yeah. from a, a Russian accented perspective. Right. So it's, right. Hilarious. So, yeah, yeah. so I think that's, I think that's where we're at. And so I, what I tell Canadians all the time is just wait, if you, if you can get some financial assets liquid so that when there's an opportunity, you can jump. Cause I think what we'll see is, that were a million dollars in say BC will be 650 or less. Um, places 
that are 800 will be 400. Places that have the that were really high have the most to lose, essentially, I think. So places that you're seeing that are maybe right now in some of the rural areas that are 700, they might slide down to five. But it, you'll see the bigger places, like 1.5, you'll see that go down to half or down to 800 or something. Yeah. And I'm already seeing it in some areas that I pay attention to here where there's people that have things listed. And for a year, they've the price has already gone down to 150, 200,000. And so wait until the market conditions get way worse, then they'll have to be built. They'll have no choice because it's like my dad always used to tell me something's only worth what somebody's willing to pay for. Exactly. So exactly. it doesn't matter what you think it should be worth. The market and people's needs dictate the price. And yeah. so that's where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting time. Interesting time. Okay. So you provide this great service. This is amazing. I think this is people, if you guys are looking for opportunities for how to really pick the proper quality rounds. So, oh, and I have a question around a selfish question being in Alberta. Climate wise, I mean, it's interesting because there is some interesting growing that can happen around Edmonton in comparison, like you can grow certain things in Edmonton that you can't even grow here. But what about Southern Alberta in comparison to that more northerly or central kind of like, do you look down? Um, a lot of growing down there, but I think there's a lot of probably chemicals down there too. I don't well, know. Well, you know, it depends. Can, can I share? Can I, I? I'll show you. You want to look at a map of Alberta? Sure. I'll show you, and we can actually put some. We can actually put some metrics to what I'm talking about here. Okay. Um. So I'll just open up Google Earth here. And um, can you see that? Yeah. Yeah. So the thing with Alberta, particularly where you are in Calgary is that this whole region that goes along the Rocky Mountains is incredibly volatile because it, it's basically a river of climate. Either the climate comes in from the prairies and hits those Rockies and hits resistance and it moves up or down along the mountains or precipitation and cool air comes in from the Rockies and it comes down and creates sort of a reverse effect. But you get extreme weather in, um, in Alberta, and I want to show you this map. But and, and and you're right though, actually, Edmonton, certain parts of Edmonton are actually more stable than certain parts of Calgary. So this is a map called the Climate Classification Map, and this actually divides. Uh, this is called the Köppen Geiger Climate Classification, and what it does is it divides the world into equatorial, which is tropical, arid, desert, you know, oh, temperate, wow. warm, boreal and polar so we don't really look at tropical or polar we look at everything in between but one thing you'll notice in alberta is it's got a chunk of this here this is called um a bsk it's a it's an arid climate it's very inhospitable it's exposed it's really cold and dry it, it pretty much sucks all around you, you can make it work but generally speaking it's challenging what you'll notice here in alberta is these two color regions here this is a b a, a, a dfc and this is a dfb dfb is more um is is milder dfc you get up an elevation into the rockies where you can see it's polar here so this yeah. is the challenge in calgary is that if you're in calgary along this area cochrane or anything where this this color is dfc uh -huh. is significantly colder and more uh inhospitable than dfb so this is when you're looking in Alberta, you want to be looking in this region. Oh, and so, yeah, okay. south, going down Fort McLeod, Claris Home, I know people that are farming down here and, and do it fairly well. But then you just get up towards in this region here, Cochrane, 
Rocky Mountain House. This is very, very difficult to grow in. And it's also where you get those Chinooks. And so it makes it challenging because you'll get wiped out in July with one inch hail. And, and you know, and a lot of Albertans will, will tell you that those well, same we stories. Can get and so really bad hail, like crazy hail. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's why Calgary, Calgary, it's weird that, that they put a city in Calgary. It, it, it always kind of blows my mind that they put a city there. It's just not, it's a volatile, it's on the edge. Calgary's on an edge. It's on the edge of the Rocky Mountains. It's on the edge of that DFB to that DFC, yeah. which create, and edges in nature are points of volatility. They can also be points of opportunity, but but in cold climates, they're more often, uh, when you're backing up against a mountain, they're more often points of a threat to, from the climate than they are opportunity. So. Right. Whereas on, uh, going on to closer to a coast uh, coming out of the mountains can be, you know, it's why the best farmland in Canada is in the Fraser Valley, right? Mm -hmm. Going from the mountain, from the, from the cascade of the Rocky mountains over to the West towards the ocean is a unique microclimate because it actually traps the heat and it's why it's warmer down there. But on the other side where Alberta is way higher elevation than Vancouver is. And so when you get higher elevation, generally speaking, you get colder. So when you're on a high elevation edge, it's dangerous and risky. That's where you get these Chinooks that can be summer in January or winter in July, right? Yeah, we get it all. And, yeah. and, and that's the thing, summer in January, like more and more, but like such extremes. We have like 30, 40 degree swings within 20 oh, it's crazy. sometimes. Yeah. And that's not really anything new. I've been going through Alberta my entire life. And I, I, I remember even when I was a kid getting a Chinook in January and being like, whoa, this is so cool. But then get in a hailstorm in July or August, and the whole farm is wiped out. So, yeah. it's yeah. but it's just, it's because it's on that edge, and it, I always wondered why they put a city there. It just doesn't make any sense. Certain parts of it are very floodable too, so it's oh yeah, you know it's it's just a weird. It, they should have never put a city there. Oh basically. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it's just in the area that you're talking about, because Dakota Cohen, who is one of your instructors and a friend of yours, I know, is yep. in that area that you're talking about between um Edmonton and Reggie right like to the yeah east. and he's in that really stable DFB climate which is very it's, it's pretty much the you know if you were to pick one climate region that is the most common in Canada that's the a DFB I'm in a DFB myself and you so are. it's in a farm it's a cold climate and he's in a zone four a USDA zone four I'm in a probably a zone 5b I'm in a lot warmer here in general but uh it's stable though and it's predictable Whereas those DFC regions are not because one swing means winter a month early. So it's, you know, it's uh, generally speaking better to be in those more stable climate regions. What does DFB stand for? Uh, they are each letter in the Copenhagen. I would just encourage somebody to go, go and look okay. on Wikipedia, Copenhagen, C-O-P-P-E-N, Geiger, G-E-I-G-E-R. And it kind of gives you a matrix of it, but each letter represents something so the first letter represents the climate region so it's either an a um uh a b or a c a d or an e and then the second letter the f represents i believe it's precipitation and then the third uh letter represents um i forget go go look it up but no, basically no worries. No worries. That's it's just, true. yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. So when people are looking on your site, so let's talk about what you have to offer and how people can partake in what you are offering. Cause there's different ways. You even have a, a dot TV 
site as well, right, where people can engage. So how can they engage with you? And what other things can they expect to find when they go to freedomfarmers.com? Yeah, so freedomfarmers.com has become my, is my main thing that I'm doing now from the field.tv is integrated into Freedom Farmers. Um, and that's been our, that's our content platform. We're kind of going through a process of amalgamating the two. Um, but but freedomfarmers.com is, is basically my motto for it is we'll show you how to get on the land and then do everything from there. So we'll, we have courses uh, that show you how to evaluate real estate, how to evaluate um, the land. It's a course that I built called Finding the Perfect Homestead Property. Uh, and I taught that one. I also had a microgreens course in a, that I did years ago, which is, is actually in there still. Um, but we have other creators, other content creators that have made courses. So we've got courses in all aspects of regenerative agriculture. Dakota Cohen has a course in our um, platform. Uh, Darby Simpson, who's a uh, raises pastured poultry and pigs, he has a course in there. We've got a microgreens course with Jonah Krokmalik. We've got a business course with David um, Barchard. We've got all kinds of courses in there. Actually, there's over 20, I think there's 20 courses now. So basically what we're, what our, what our goal is with our platform is to give people kind of a one-stop shop, as you said earlier, um, of a place to learn everything about how to be on the land, how to monetize being on the land, how to live on the land. I'm in the process of building a, a course that will launch next year about water. And it's a super broad subject, but it's, it's basically how to manage water in every respect on a homestead. So how to, uh, uh, dig a well, how to uh, build a French drain, how to install irrigation on a homestead, how to do irrigation for animals, how to build a pond, um, how to do rainwater catchment, everything uh, in regards to water on the land. So that's that's another course that we're including. So basically, that's that's essentially what it is. You know, it's um, we just want to help people find a level of sovereignty on the land, because I think you know, I, I've talked for many years about the eight forms of capital because financial capital is just one of them. Um, and as we go into this sort of new paradigm, we might get pinched with how we use finances. And so it's important to have an understanding of what capital is and how you can manifest capital in many different ways outside of the financial system. And land is gives you that opportunity to stack many forms of capital. So if you can have land, you can do a lot of things. And... Um, especially survive. And so, so that's kind of, yeah, my focus and what people will find there. What are those eight forms? Can you go through what those are? Yeah, yeah totally. So um, the, the most common one that we know is the, is financial capital, right? Uh, um, any type of money, right? Gold, precious metals, uh, Bitcoin, any crypto, any that that's financial capital, bonds, stocks, all that stuff. That's all financial capital. Um, but then from there, you've got material capital. So things that you have, this greenhouse is a material asset, right? It's not money, but it's a material asset. Uh, tools and things like that that you have on your homes, infrastructure, that's material capital. Uh, then you've got social capital, which is the collection of your relationships. And, you know, like uh, a person who's a social guy and is friendly and has lots of friends has a lot more social capital than the sort of narcissistic know-it-all who doesn't have friends and people don't like, right? That person has no financial, uh, a social capital. You've got biological capital or living capital, trees, water systems, gardens, those things are living capital. 
Um, you've got experiential capital. So you, you, your experience, uh, collective experiences that give you wisdom and allow you to navigate the world uh, in a better way. You've got your intellectual capital, also known as human capital, which is basically the knowledge you have. You know, nobody can really take that from you, you know, unless they erase your brain. Um, you've got spiritual capital. You've got family capital, cultural capital. So all these things are different forms of capital, basically. And when, and and the billionaires know this. This stuff's nothing new. Um, that this is why billionaires don't hold things in financial capital. They just use the financial capital as a as a way to move to another form of capital. And they all these things intersect in one way or another too. You know, you can use one form of capital to build another form of capital. Um, and they all leverage and help each other in one way or another. But I find when you have that perspective, you can really craft um, a holistic context, which helps you navigate the world in a more of a realistic way to get you towards prosperity and freedom by having an understanding of those things. It's also a, a really optimistic way of looking at the world because a lot of people think that they don't have much because they don't have a lot of money. But at the same time, if you evaluate your your eight forms of capital and you go, you know, I actually got a lot of skills at this trade. I'm actually a fairly social guy or whatever it is. You can kind of make a, an inventory for yourself, if you will, of these eight forms of capital. And actually, they can tell you a lot about where you're at and what you might be able to do because they give you a real cost accounting uh, of what you actually have. Huh. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. So... I, okay, so anything else with your freedom purpose? Because I want to also just lastly comment on, uh, talk about like one of your videos that I was watching. Because I really appreciate the way you express yourself and your point of views around certain things. And one really spoke to me. So before, anything else with freedom farmers? People have to know. Oh, How can people go there, freedomfarmers.com. Okay, freedomfarmers.com. Just go there. Uh, check it out, you guys. And there's there are some, I, are there some free things that they could just partake in? I think so. We have, actually, there's an offer we're running right now. I think it goes to the end of the month where they can sign up. We have this package. It's called Freedom Farmers Pro. It's actually, it's, it's crazy value. Um, we Our Homestead Accelerator program where we publish weekly listings is worth, we charge almost 300 bucks a month for that because it's insanely valuable because if you pay three, say you spend 300 bucks and we find you the right property, right. what's 300 bucks on a half right. a million dollar deal, right? Right. Um, but we, we had this offer last month where we offered, it's called Freedom Farmers Pro. You pay one time for the year. It was 400 bucks and you get access wow. to everything we do, all the courses, all the property listings, everything. Now we're offering that on a monthly basis. So I think it's like 40 bucks a month. If people sign up, they get access to everything that we have in Freedom Farmers. And so that, that offer is running now. So if they go to freedomfarmers.com, they'll see that. Um, I better get this thing up so people can hear this before the end of the month. Right? Yeah. And, and, and whatever, you know, they, yeah. um, but yeah, so that, so that's all I would say to that. And then what you were going to ask me, Well, uh, I wanted to talk about, so going back to like, I appreciate your, your perception of things. And I, I learned a big lesson during this whole unload, this whole through last few years. And I was pissed off for, you know, a good three of them. And I was really <laughs> focused on, just listening to the shit. And then I realized I am poised. It doesn't matter from what perspective I'm looking at this or listening to this, whether I'm aware or not, I'm poisoning it. I'm poisoning myself and I'm feeding into it rather than turning that shit off and just focusing on, okay, what do I want my life to look like? Who are we going to do this with? And let's focus on that. So yeah. I really liked your perspective. You were just walking around your property like you do and talking about how 
you know, people like it's, it's, it's part of the plan folks to tie you up. Right. Yes. So can you just give us some perspective on that? Because I know there's a lot of people that feel like it's their job right now to go and march in the streets still, yeah. even though there's hardly anything going on and to go to the rallies and to, to watch the news and to spread the videos. And it's like, to what yeah. end? What well, end? yeah. I mean, I guess I would say to that is, I think what's most important to do right now in, in this time is focus on elevating everything in your life experience towards more prosperity because the new world order wants to take you to a place where you're completely pinched. And so you can't pay the bills. You can't make the mortgage payments. You can't afford to um, not put your kids in public school. Uh, they want you to take shots and this and that and the other. We don't have to go through that. I'm sure your audience BS, uh, but that's what they want you. And so the way I look at it is I want to do everything opposite to the, what the new world order wants. And so, um, but another thing that they want you to do is they want you to spend time on doing things that don't provide you value, because mm -hmm. if you're spending your time on things that don't actually create value for yourself, you're not getting ahead in a time where everybody else is falling behind. So they want you falling behind like everybody else so that when the offer comes, which is going to be the, the universal basic income, uh, you're going to take it and they want you to take it. And so you need to, again, this is just my perspective and my context, but what I try to encourage people to do who value the kind of lifestyle that I have is that you need to focus on your prosperity. And that means moving the needle every day towards prosperity. Uh, if you're stuck in the grind, you got to get out of the grind so that you can work towards prosperity. And so I think it's a time to hustle, frankly. Yeah, there's a little bit of a lull because there's no lockdown, but use that as an opportunity to get ahead because the lockdowns made it so that a lot of us couldn't get ahead because even having to go to the store and go through all the mask bullshit slows you down. It slows your day down, having to deal with this madness, right? We don't have that right now. So take, take advantage of that. And so, yeah, arguing with people online, you know, it's so much, it's all bots right now. Anyways, I'm on Twitter now. Uh, actually, I should have mentioned that. If people want to follow me on Twitter. It's at Off Grid Stone. But I'm on Twitter. And I see these bots. I see these chat bots that will just bait you and troll you and get you spending time arguing with somebody that this makes no, this has no consequence on your life whatsoever, has no consequence on your prosperity. That's how they want you spending your time. And so you got to just, yeah, keep moving the needle forward, however that looks for you. You know, it might just be kind of getting your shit together to get out of a city, or it might be, you know, getting your kids out of school and having, having to change things around your life to do that or, or whatever it could be, right? Everybody's got a, 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 their own selection of circumstances, but I would say fundamentally, that's what you want to do. You want to be focusing on your prosperity and the time has never been more important because as this whole, we're in a, a sort of a civil unrest pinch right now, they got people fighting about COVID. People are fighting about drag queen story time and all the woke shit and Black Lives Matter and all that. And now they got you fighting about Israel and Palestine. And you can see all these people getting switched on, these sort of these sort of sleeper cells in the large cities that have been activated. And now there's all this civil unrest over an issue that has nothing to do with anybody in North America. But that's what they want you doing. And, and it's so I would, you can just see the patterns like folks, 
Can't you see this is just the next season? The next there thing. are patterns here. It's like take down the Ukrainian flag, put up the Israeli flag. Is exactly. can't you see this? It's it's just it's so obvious when you just zoom on out. It's just one thing after another. Like, don't you have your own conversations that are coming from your own internal drives rather than what the news is telling well, you? Well, people do. don't. <laughs> I think that's the sad thing is that a lot of people have been so cornered by the trappings of today's modern conveniences that they're kind of just locked in this thing and they're wasting time spinning wheels. And I think we're in a quickening where, you know, as we approach, say it's 2030, I don't know if that's when it's going to be, who knows, but you can see that for one, economic conditions are not improving anywhere in the world. They're not improving. They're getting worse and worse and worse. Social conditions are getting worse and worse and worse. Um, Supply conditions when it comes to distribution of, of, of goods is getting worse and worse and worse. The energy itself is becoming less and less available. The case in point with the price of oil, right? Everything's becoming more expensive. We're in a time of inflation and we're not in hyperinflation yet, thank goodness, but the economic conditions are not improving. And so, you know, I say this to people all the time, especially people who are trying to sell their house. Like, cause I, I, I had some friends that were listing hoping for yesterday's price and i told them a while ago i said list it lower if you want to sell it because do you want do you want less money or no money and people don't listen and now they're sitting on a house that they're going to get way less than they would have if they listed it six months ago and so it's basically economic conditions are not improving and so you can just look at these macro trends and go okay if i don't stay way ahead of the rat race i'm going to get pulled down especially when you live in conditions where your life can be affected by people around you. And again, that's why we cho choose to live in such a rural area because my life is not affected one way or the other by what individuals do. Uh, my, my life is dictated on pretty much what's going on on my property and I can be mostly in control of that. And so, you know, that, that's kind of my message is the more of your lifestyle that you can control, the more things that you need that you can control, the less you can be pinched. And and we're going into a scenario where the entrapments of being pinched are getting greater and greater. The force, it's like imagine a downward spiral into a, into a vortex of a whirlpool. When you're on the edge of it, you can kind of roll off and kind of go one way or the other. But as you get closer to that of what they call as event horizon in a, in a black hole, the chances of turning it around are, are harder and harder and harder. And so I think the time to, to move is, is greater than ever. Yeah, totally. Totally. I agree. Thank you. One last thing about the homesteading stuff. Do you, do, do you teach people how to defend their property? Like that's another thing that I do think about if you are not as remote as you are, yeah. you know, like that's another thing. It's about. a big thing. I don't. Uh, main, main reason is, is that that's a fairly taboo subject in Canada that can get you in trouble. Yeah. So I, I prefer not to go there. Um, and, and, and with that, there's so much free content available about that, that that's not really, to me, I don't see a niche in okay. that content opportunity. It's just like, that's been talked about by so many people that I'm not really going to bring any new light to that anyways. So I kind of try to focus. I've always tried to just focus on weakest links and that's been, I guess my success as a capitalist in a way is like looking at opportunities and weak links and addressing things that people didn't address. It's like when I wrote my book, The Urban Farmer, I didn't dedicate the first chapter to compost like every other book on gardening ever written. I said, <laughs> yeah, that's been done before. I'm right. just going to focus on business and things that people didn't do 
um, that I did well. And so that's, that's where I look. I just look for opportunities and I don't think that even needs to be addressed by me. Okay. Fair. Fair. Yeah. yeah. It is just something to think of every once in a while, you know, especially when you see like what the neighbors were doing in the cities, you know, it's like, oof. You know, we never stopped anything, but we were just like we were wondering who's watching us. Well, that's why that, that's why there's just so much remedy in just being away from people. Again, we start we kind of started our conversation with this when I talked about my property, but it's just yeah, just being away from large groups of people is ninety percent of your problems. The government is only a small slice of that, especially if they're just physically not around you. Right, you live right next to City Hall, you're going to encounter bureaucrats a lot more than if you live 100 miles from city hall if, if you know what i mean yeah yeah and and it's just zombie nation yeah <laughs> well it is yeah it is and that, and that and that's why again just being away from people and that's why you know you don't want to have a farm right on the highway because when the proverbial shit hits the fan your farm's going to be the first to get raided and yeah you're going to need a machine gun turret on on a on a 12 foot fence with barbed wire to defend it. And I'd rather just not go there. And I, right. I, I've always modeled the sort of the path of least resistance and looked at the way water flows, you know, the wa water always flows the path of least resistance. So I try to make all of my actions go that way, whether I'm in my personal life or just the way I organize my land and, and, and reshape my land as I go to the path of least resistance. Yeah. That's amazing. And, you, and what you're, all you're doing, I really appreciate what you're doing and your family is very blessed and your children to grow up with these values and ethics and skills and experience is pretty amazing. I really wish that for my son, who's now 14, if he could have grown up more rurally, that would have been like, he's a kid in his body that is very strong and able to do things. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. Your family is growing up that way. So, okay. So I think this is great. I just first, okay. Wrap up if you have any other comments, but just to reiterate how people get a hold of you and they can find what you're doing. Let you, you say it. Okay, sure. So go to freedomfarmers.com. Uh, if you, if you want to sign up to that before the end of this month, uh, you, there'll be a, a special deal. Um, and um, yeah, follow me on Twitter at off grid stone. And then, on YouTube, I'm um, off grid with Curtis Stone. That's the best place to find me. Okay, yeah. and a newsletter that people can sign up for as well. Uh, that when they when they go check out freedomfarmers.com, they'll you'll find okay. your way to that. Awesome, you yeah. guys, just a plethora of tools and value and information there, and such important stuff. These are the things that you know we don't want to do anymore. And now with the people that like the general public, you know, they don't they don't know how to do things. <laughs> this is one thing that I concentrated myself <laughs> from a little kid. It's like, I don't care what kind of, he's no academic, that's for sure. Well, I shouldn't limit him that way, but he knows how to do things, right? He's got the skills. And that's, that was my biggest focus. Biggest that's focus. That I've never been to a school for a second. Uh -huh. Perfect. So, very intentionally. Yeah. So yeah. any last comments or anything for people? What are, what are, what like last inspiration? Uh, yeah. I mean, I would say if you, the words I was saying were striking a chord. Um, don't get overwhelmed with the process of it. Just know that starting is the hardest step and every step gets easier. Um, it's all hard because anything worthwhile doing is hard. But to me, I, I think that's our purpose in life is to come in and learn lessons and do great things. And so I would say if it's striking a chord, if you start, it doesn't matter what that is, but start something and always, always keep upward trajectory and just keep moving forward and don't get caught in the minutia. 
don't get don't let people wag the dog don't don't let people make you react try to be in a state of proaction not reaction and when you see things that um make you concerned to do something about it until before they become a problem so be proactive instead of reactive love it and getting caught in the minutia that's a big thing people really do get caught in the minutia and just forget that getting pulled into the weeds for nothing and then because that's what you, that's what i always say to myself what did i do today that brought value you know what did i do that moved the needle forward for myself or my family and that's all it is for me and so anytime and, and and don't get me wrong. We all get pulled into the minutia sometimes, right? right? We right. all get pulled oh, I know. into shit. I sure do. That's yeah. life, right? It, yeah. it, but 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 the, to find the equilibrium is to make sure that the majority of your time is spent in moving the needle than getting caught up in the minutia. That's what I would say. And yeah. then if you if you can do that, you're winning. Good point. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Curtis. I really appreciate it. you. Got a lot to share. So appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure, Sasha. And sorry again for the technical difficulties and my being late. It worked out all okay. It's it's, it's right. let's go back to Zoom for God's sake. Who knew? There we go. Get off Zoom. All right, you got control. So okay, take care. Thank you. You too. Okay. Bye.